Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsipornchai. Well, brother, it's uh, good to kind of be back on a regular weekly schedule after a long hiatus. Um, and we've got a great topic today. In fact, I would argue that this may be one of the most important topics we could kind of talk about in today's world. And that's the necessity for and the development of discernment uh, in the church today. Or if you're John MacArthur, discernment. Um, huh, right. But uh a great topic. I, I mean, when you hear the word discernment, I mean, in our thinking about the church today, our culture, you know, the Western world, what what comes to your thoughts first? Um, it's being able to distinguish between good and evil, biblical and unbiblical, um, uh, or biblical and almost biblical, and also discerning priorities as well. Um, you, you could have a number of things that you understand from the Bible. Um, but being able to prioritize, and when I say prioritize, got into a discussion on social media with someone uh, this past week, um, understanding what is primary and secondary, and, and we've talked about that. You know, someone who believes it's a sin to eat uh, meat sacrificed to idols, which um, it's not if your if your conscience is clear on that. Um, but that's not on the same ground as someone who doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is God. Right, so discernment is at the end of the day, it's understanding the Bible and and using the Bible to be able to, to distinguish what is and is not biblical, what is good and what is evil. Yeah. Now, in your estimation, I mean, you you you're pastoring a church, you see what's going on, on social media, you 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 know, like I think any good pastor, you keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening uh, in the church and what's tempting the church. Where would you judge the church in terms of the maturity level when we're thinking about discernment? Is, is Do you think we're in an age where the church is very discerning? Are we in an age where the church, you know, is just lacking a little bit, lacking a lot? Like, what's your kind of read on the, the church in general in, in the West? Yeah, it, it, in a general sense, um, I would say it's severely lacking. Um, obviously, that's a that's a very broad statement. It's going to vary from church to church. You know, I'd come from Grace Community Church, uh, where John MacArthur was, and I was there from 2006 until 2019, when I was called to be a pastor at Western Avenue Baptist Church in Brawley. And uh, Grace Community Church, uh, very mature in, in their discernment. It doesn't mean that each and every single person is very discerning. Um, I know from engaging in the biblical counseling there that there's a lot of struggles there. Um, but overall, very discerning church. And uh, and and most other churches are not going to be at that level. The church that I'm at right now, I think they're hungry. I think they're they're growing um, in, in their discernment. Uh, but I think when I see the kinds of things that are said on social media, um, what the dominant church uh, represents, and especially the churches that draw the most people, you know, when you look at people like a Joel Osteen and Andy Stanley who are mega pastors and being a mega pastor by itself is you know doesn't really tell you anything but the fact that they are mega pastors of churches and when i hear them say what they say you know you add stephen furtick to the mix uh, a number of others um then you know i would say that a number of people that 
go-to churches that identify as Christian are, are severely lacking in in their discernment. So, yeah, I would say very, very immature as a whole, um, but there are um, very mature churches uh, amongst them. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would agree with that assessment, and I, and I think just kind of looking at the same things, um, beyond looking even though at social media, and it doesn't take, I think it doesn't take a whole lot of time on Twitter or on um, Facebook or on Instagram, where, you know, wherever you are. Uh, beyond that, you can look at the kinds of quote unquote Christian movies that come out and the responses that people have yeah, to those right. and kind of gauge that, um, the, you know, the majority of maybe what we might call the visible church. And, and you mentioned the Stephen Furtick's and the Joel Osteen, um, you know, just basically kind of everyone that puts the word church on their building. Uh, I think by far uh, the large majority, uh, most of them aren't, aren't churches by any biblical stretch of the definition. Um, and then a lot that are, are uh, severely lacking in discernment. So I think that's right. You know, and I think beyond that, um, you know, if you were to look at statistics, right, just just general statistics on um, what the average Christian believes about things yeah. like is Christ right. the only way, right, uh, to salvation? Is there some other way? If you look at statistics about what Christians believe about sin, what is sin, what isn't sin uh, in today's world, a lot of confusion around you know, homosexuality and marriage and things like that. And if yep. you just look at those statistics, I think it proves as well uh, the need in our times for discernment. And I think like you, I mean, I, you know, I'm new to the church. I'm in Fellowship Bible Church in Oklahoma. By the way, there are big, nasty scorpions here. Um, and uh, we didn't have those in Alaska. Um, actually, that's not true. Guys who are listening from my church would be like, are you kidding? They're like two inches long. That's true. They're tiny little scorpions, which makes them even worse because <laughs> you can't see them. Um, anyway, um, but um, so you have to be discerning about where you walk here. And we yeah, want people right. to be as discerning about what they believe and think. But, you know, the guys here, as I've kind of gotten to know them, I, I think are in a similar place. They love the word of God. They want to be discerning. And so I want to kind of just talk about. Um, I mean, we've been talking about the need for it, and that's the reason we're having this conversation. It isn't just to talk and front load the podcast with conversation. It's to say there is a real need for discernment in the church today. And I think there are a lot of folks out there who maybe already are asking the question, well, how do I grow in my discernment, right? Um, yeah. And that's kind of where we want to spend the rest of the time uh, talking about. But I, I think the first thing that I think about when I think about discernment is the need to recognize that we're commanded to have it, right? This isn't just a good idea or a suggestion. Um, it, it's actually a command from scripture. Um, and then I think the second thing, which kind of goes along with that, that I would think of is uh, to recognize that it's commanded because we need it. So it's a command to be discerning and it's commanded, I think, because God knows we need it, right? Um, think of passages like Ephesians 5, uh, 10 through 11. Let me read that. Um, this is the Apostle Paul talking to uh, the church in Ephesus. He says, trying to learn, try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord and do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even expose them. And so if we're to learn what's pleasing to the Lord, then we have to have some discernment. We have to also have to have biblical knowledge. And then it's interesting because he says not only are we supposed to not participate in them, 
which again would re- would require us to be able to distinguish between what's good and what's evil. Or I think better and what is what you mentioned earlier between what's right and what's almost right, because I think that's what gets yeah. a lot of Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he goes on to say, but instead even expose them. And he's just speaking to the church at Ephesus, not specifically the elders, right? We know it's yeah. the duty of a pastor, of an elder to expose um, the darkness, to confront false doctrines. But actually, Paul's saying that this is the role of every believer. Um, you go to First Thessalonians, Paul, again, in chapter 5, um, he commands, you know, it's a command and imperative. He says, but examine all things. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. I mean, these, uh, just these two passages, you know, require that we grow in discernment. Yeah. Yeah, I I think of uh, the example of Jesus Christ just being tempted by Satan, right? I mean, Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Christ, and talk about what is uh, right and almost right or biblical or almost biblical. Satan knows the word of God better than any of us. And so in Matthew chapter 4, we have a series of challenges coming from Satan towards Jesus Christ. And really what Jesus says in Matthew 4, 4 really sets the tone for how he's going to defend against those attacks. Jesus is om- omnipotent. Um, at any time, he's he can destroy Satan, and, and he will in his appointed time. But at this point in time, he's not doing that. What he's doing is he's relying upon his um, his understanding of God's word. In Matthew 4, 4, He's quoting Deuteronomy 8.3 when he says, man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so what I love about this temptation of Christ, he it's not only that he succeeds, obviously, but, but it's that he defends against the attacks of Satan using methods that are available to us, which is essentially knowledge of the word of God. And you mentioned Ephesians. Obviously, Ephesians chapter 4 talks about how Jesus gave to the church pastors and teachers for the um, equipping of the saints uh, to the for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, and then I think it's in verse fourteen where it says, "We shall no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickiness, by the by the cunning, and the um, the the tricks of mankind, and and the schemes of Satan as well." And then when you get to Ephesians chapter six, you've got the armor of God, and we look at the armor of God. We understand that the armor of God is not physical armor. That's not what the Bible gives us. The armor, each parts, each pieces of that armor has to do with a certain understanding of theology, of God's character, of of the gospel, right? And so we defend against the attacks of the evil one um, by our understanding of Scripture. So yeah, from from the example of Jesus Christ, and when we look elsewhere at what Jesus says, he rebukes the Pharisees. He says, have you not read? And obviously they have read, but they have not understood um, John chapter eight, uh, verse uh, 30 or 31, he says that uh, if you are my disciples, you will continue in the word and the word shall, shall set you free, right? So all over, we understand that the spiritual war is engaged with the mind and the mind needs to be renewed with scripture and scripture is what's going to allow us to be able to distinguish the, the attacks of the evil one. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That means he looks like one of us. And if he looks like one of us, how are you going to distinguish him? You, you, the only way yeah. you can distinguish him is not going to be, it's not going to be what he looks like. It's not going to be whether he sounds godly or not. It's going to be whether what he says aligns with scripture or not. 
You know, I think we forget that. I think we forget that Satan comes disguised as an angel of light. And, and, and the implications of that is that evil, wrong teaching, false doctrine often looks very similar to what's true. I, I think we so easily forget that. And we kind of have this general mindset um, that, you know, if something bad comes into the church, uh, you know, the, the devil's going to walk through the front door, you know, on fire, flaming red with a big pitchfork. I've said that before, right? Uh, but that's almost never the case. It comes in looking like Joel Osteen and makes you feel really good. And he smiles a lot, yeah. right? Um, right. And and that's important. And you brought up the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And uh, you, you brought up the first example. I love the second example um, as well, because that one I think really gives us a fantastic picture of the necessity um, of knowing the difference between right and almost right. Um, it, you know, the devil, the, the second temptation, the devil takes him into the holy city, stands him on the pinnacle, the temple. And he says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down because it's written. And then he quotes scripture, right? Um, and yeah. he quotes the scripture. He will command his yeah. angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So Satan quotes that. And then here Jesus replies to him, on the other hand, it is written. Now, that's incredible because what Jesus is doing here um, is, I mean, he's responding to Satan. But what we learn from this interaction is the necessity to know all of the scriptures because they go together. Right. He says, on the other hand, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So what Satan said was actually true. It's actually true. And it was true about Jesus. But it was the wrong application at the wrong time. And -hmm. Jesus was, I mean, clearly he's omniscient. Right. So. But Jesus is pointing out that, yeah, basically you're twisting the scripture. It is true. And it is true about me. However, to lay hold of that truth in this moment would be to test the Lord, your God. And scripture says, we don't do that. Um, And I think this is where the most sincere, uh, well-meaning, true believer gets caught, right? Or in these moments where someone wrote a book and it's laced with scripture and it seems good, but it's filled with the wrong application. Um, and, and so, in fact, it's evil that's disguised as light, or maybe even the book was well-intentioned, um, but it's just not good. You know, it's interesting. Um, I was having a conversation with someone in the church about the book. Um, oh, man, it just slipped my mind. Um, it had come to me when I describe it, but it was a super popular book, The Shack. The Shack, that's what yeah, it was. Right. Um which is only good to as fire starter for your fire in a couple months. Um, but, but we were talking about the shack and I thought, you know, um, you really don't have to go any further in that book to judge whether it's biblical or not beyond the fact that they portray the living sovereign God of the universe as this overweight black woman. Yeah. That tells you everything you need to know about the theology of that book. I, I mean, literally, you don't need to know anything else to know that that book is going to be chock full of really bad, inaccurate theology. Um, and we were just kind of talking about that. But that's the sort of like place that we we want to get to, um, I think, with all things. And 
and we'll never be perfect, obviously, uh, but we want to know enough of scripture where like Jesus, um, if we read a verse, right, what comes to mind is, oh, you know, but there's this other verse that means yeah. we can apply this that way, right? Um, and and it leads us to something that's actually sinful. And so, um, yeah, and so I, I think that's true. It's we, we mostly need to know the difference surely between right and wrong, but between right and almost right. Let me give a good example, and let's talk about that. Uh, you've prob- you can probably think of some examples um, over the past couple years. The, the first one that comes to my mind, man, is Kanye West. Um, you know, Kanye West, uh, professed to come to Christ and, you know, all kinds of believers rightfully were excited about the profession or hopeful about the profession. And I think we should always be joyful, but the problem is that, you know, thinking about, um, the, the lifestyle he has, uh, his context, um, his lifestyle, there were a lot of believers who were basically saying, okay, you know what, let's rejoice in the potential. But I think discernment would say, let's let's have some reservation. Let's let the fruit out a little bit before we go too far with this. And certainly those same Christians were saying he shouldn't be platformed anywhere. He shouldn't be speaking yeah. Um, you know, he shouldn't be teaching anything beyond just giving his testimony, really, uh, because if if his claim is true, he's a brand new believer. Uh, he shouldn't be having a platform. And, you know, um, what happened over time was I think it's pretty clearly been revealed that that profession was was not a genuine one. Uh, whatever his experience was, you know, we we can say nothing about his experience, but his life hasn't bore any positive fruit. Um, that should lead any believer to look at Kanye West and think he's a truly born again believer. And so I think discernment would say, you know what, our focus when we think of Kanye would be uh, to still be praying for an authentic salvation, right? That he would truly come to know Christ. That's just one example I can think of. I mean, what are some examples that you can think of? Maybe a different category altogether, but yeah, I mean, you know, thinking about public figures, uh, Donald Trump uh, claimed to be a Christian. Mm. Early on in his uh, his campaign, good one. Um, at some point, and uh, initially you hear that and and you hope it's true. Um, you, you don't necessarily see the fruit of that. Now he's also at the time, and he still is, really in the public eye and uh, doing doing a lot of uh, of work uh, for the country that prevents him from really getting discipled the way he ought to. And and I think what you said there is right. When someone comes to Christ, they really need to be spending their time growing in their understanding of scripture. And, and that is probably the, the wisest uh, course of action. And at that time, Kanye, when he first claimed to come to Christ, um, he was meeting with a very solid pastor. And in fact, even invited that pastor on one of his tours somewhere to actually preach the gospel. And I know that that pastor did a great job of, of preaching the gospel when he was given that opportunity. And there have been moments where Kanye has been on talk shows and he has um, he he has articulated the pro life position exceptionally well, right? Um, but then, as you said, there are other areas where he starts to sound more like a black Hebrew Israelite, and and he's partnering up with people who don't know Christ, and and so it it just it's one of those areas where you say, you know, I wish this person had just spent more time in being discipled, and and I think when we look at the scriptures, um, one of uh, one of our 
one of the people I follow, <clears throat> Brian Millennial, uh, she she posted something that I agree with. She talked about the qualifications of an elder and said that, you know, though this is describing the qualifications of an elder, all men should strive to meet these kind of a qualif- kinds of qualifications, even if they're not looking to be an elder. And I absolutely agree with that because those yeah. qualifications show the character uh, of an individual. Um, but also we understand from scripture that someone who's going to be an elder should not be a new convert. And there's a reason for that, because though a, though a person may show some good fruit early on, uh, you want that person to be stable, and you want that person to have had time to be able to prove that they're walking with Christ, they're growing with Christ, and really monitored by someone who's much more mature, someone who's been in the faith and solid in the faith. Those are all those are all things that need to be there to ensure that a person's walk is steady. Now, that's not to say that when someone comes out and proclaims Christ, that we should hold them at arm's distance until they can prove their fruit. You know, we we welcome right. we welcome them into the church. And I would say from an ecclesiastical standpoint, as soon as someone professes Christ, they should be looking at getting baptized. They should be looking at getting plugged in, getting discipled, all those things. But over time, if we find that the fruit is not matching the profession, um, then we have some serious questions there, right? And that's not a person that we want to elevate to a, a level of leadership. That's a person that's going to need continued discipleship, but possibly excommunication from the church if they turn away and start to affirm things that are absolutely not true. And I think part of Kanye West's growth is that he he did go to Con- he did go to um, Joel Osteen's church, and then he did um, affirm. Uh, I want to say Mormons, uh, Mormons as fellow believers. I could be wrong about that, but I seem to to remember something like that. So yeah, we we have all these examples of <clears throat> things that are around us that that kind of remind us to 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 remember pump the brakes and just because someone is a celebrity or or a public figure it doesn't make make them instantly holy just because they profess Christ they are they would be holy in the sense of being set aside by God but in terms of their walk and in their growth and their maturity you, you got to give them time but this is part of the culture that we live in where someone who's a celebrity or someone who's an athlete is for some reason given much more credibility in what they say than any anyone else. Um, people in our society they love to hear statements from celebrities, but when it comes to celebrities and actors, folks, their their lane is entertainment. Athletes, their lane is entertainment. You know, and I'm not saying that that entertainment is evil, but recognize that they they really have no basis to to be experts in whatever area it is they're they're speaking on. So you always got to take yeah. that with a grain of salt. But in terms of other cultural attacks, I mean, think about, for instance, um, people that want to uh, want to really kind of flatten the gospel to say that, uh, well, everyone who affirms that God is love is saved, right? And and they'll quote scriptures that show God is love, God so loved the world, and all that kinds of stuff. And and really, yeah. what they're doing is that they're taking those scriptures out of context. Um, I, I just did a message on spiritual contentment, and one of the most twisted verses in all of scripture. We talked about this before, Philippians four th- four thirteen. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. And to this yeah. day, I still hear people referencing that verse to try to motivate people. Um, but it's it's a kind of self love motivation where you know go out and and chase your dreams, chase your ambitions, and God is going to strengthen you. That's not what that verse is saying at all. But I, I constantly yeah. hear that verse being used to back up that kind of uh, that kind of teaching, that kind of position. So yeah, we've got to be able to look at that and say, well, is that really the context for that verse? 
And only someone who has spent time growing in the scriptures, reading the scriptures, and and growing in their understanding of of theology, uh, developing a systematic theology, to developing a practical theology, and all that. That's that's when you're looking at someone who is ready to fill in kind of that position of leadership, um, which, you know, the topic today is about discernment, and discernment is absolutely a critical uh, a critical component to, to someone who's going to be a leader of the church. And quite sadly, I think there are many leaders who don't have it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, and it's something, it's critical to the growth of just any believer in the church too. Um, I, I mean, let's yeah, talk about absolutely. like ways that, you know, believers often get sidetracked because of a lack of discernment. And, um, and, and I think, it, you know, discernment comes with spiritual maturity. And so, uh, we're, we're not saying that if you're not where you should be in spiritual discernment, there's something wrong with you. What we're saying is that there there needs to be some maturing and growth. And, and that's what is meant to happen. As we mature and grow in the word, uh, we we become more discerning. Um, yeah. And uh, it, so books, um, uh, the things that we listen to, you know, I, I put uh, put something up on Facebook. I saw a post and took the picture and uh just put a little commentary on it. And, and basically it was communicating that you become like what you listen to. Um, it's yeah. just kind of the principle that, uh, you know, we've talked about this before, uh, bad company corrupts good morals, right? Um, you, yeah. you become like what you give yourself to, whether you give yourself to a certain author, um, a certain preacher, a certain, you know, um, and so, and, and that's just all humans are that way. There's no exceptions to that. You will become like the people you hang around. And so discernment is needed so that you know what kinds of people um, you should be hanging around. And discernment is needed like when you're talking about studying books. So imagine you know, we're both in churches where believers are hungry for the word. Uh, they're finding good books to read. And so they pick up a book like The Shack um, or they, 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 they pick up a book by, you know, someone who's gone woke now. Uh, and that's the lens or they pick up a book that has a a, a feminist theological perspective. Um, yeah. You know, you need to be able to discern those things because if you it, it, what happens is over time, if you can't discern that uh, you start being influenced by that bad theology. Um, and so you read the shack and, you know, maybe you're a younger Christian or uh, you, you're you're just um Right, either in years or just your progress in in the faith, and you read that and you think, "Wow, that's great!" And you start picking up other books from the same writer. You start picking up yeah. books with feminist theology and et cetera, et cetera. And before long, you will, and this guaranteed, start adopting views that are contrary to Scripture. And they'll be subtle at first, and it'll be little by little. I mean, we see this progression with people all the yeah. time, in in the most. I, I think the ultimate fruit of that um, is what we see in the deconstruction movement, right? That yeah. That's kind yeah. of the ending rotten fruit of what likely began as just very little subtle unbiblical um, doctrines and teachings that crept into that person's life. I, I think a challenge with the church now is with a lot of the woke stuff, right? Guys who were more solid in the beginning— um, and, you know, I think of guys like Tim Keller, um, and it, it kind of grieves me to say what I'm going to say, but I, I think it, it just has to be said when we're talking about uh, discernment. 
Tim Keller, when he got to the later, um, you know, years of his life, yeah. really changed from who he was at the beginning. Now, you know, there we could argue doctrinal issues even from the beginning, but most certainly what we could say is he uh, got to a place in his life where he significantly started softening the truth, started being more yeah. concerned about the world's perspective of the church, yeah. um, I think, than God's perspective of the church. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I believe, I have no reason to believe he wasn't a brother in Christ. I have no longer to, I have no reason to believe that he's not with our Lord now. Um, mm -hmm. But I would say that discernment would dictate um, the acknowledgement that a lot of his stuff for the last several years is just not good stuff. Um, it's far more worldly than it ought to be. And I think because of that, a lot of it is, is really dangerous. You do see a lot of woke tendencies um, in, in Keller stuff. And I think we can distinguish between guys who we acknowledge as brothers, who maybe we even love, maybe we even followed their ministry. I've never personally been a big fan of Keller, but um, if you have, that's fine. But I think discernment would demand that we say, man, here, here's here's a brother that got off track. And so we now need to be careful with some of his stuff. Um, and you can look back in history and find other guys that way too. And so part of discernment is is the maturity to be able to distinguish between, um, to be able to say this guy's a brother, but he's off track here. You know, th this guy, you know, was was faithful for so many years, but now he's for this season gone off the rails. But we have some guys like that now, right? Who, yeah. you know, were speakers at conferences that both in you, you and I would attend. And for years they've not shown up now and they probably never will be at some of those conferences again. Um, still brothers in the Lord, uh, but they're guys I wouldn't point anyone to. Um, and so we've got to be able to discern who whose teaching fits in that category without labeling them as heretics if they're not heretics. Mm -hmm. You can yeah. you can teach really bad doctrine without being mm -hmm. without becoming a heretic. You can teach doctrine that harms the church, in fact, without necessarily crossing the yeah. line of being a heretic. Um, you just need to know scripture enough to be able to find those places thoughts on that yeah and and let's uh talk about that word uh, heresy and, and heretic uh, because that's been that's been a recent topic uh, for me as well um what is a heretic and what is heresy and, and my definition is this anything that undermines the true gospel of christ is heresy and anyone who teaches heresy is a heretic um, now, that doesn't mean that everything that we disagree with is heresy, because not everything we disagree with affects the gospel. And so a great example is eschatology. So we can talk about the various forms of eschatology and beliefs, and, and I think there are some extreme forms that could cross mm -hmm. the boundary into heresy, but I think for the most part, people could be all over the map, and it really doesn't change the core gospel itself. It's when someone teaches something that starts to change the core gospel itself that you get into heresy. And by the way, this this requires discernment as well, because there are some who treat every disagreement as being a disagreement of heresy, right? Oh, you're not yeah. saved if, if you don't believe this. I mean, think, think about the King James-only movement. The King James-only movement uh, treats the, the true church as if it's only— you're only the true church if you're actually reading from the King James, the, the authorized King James standard— um, version, right? <clears throat> yeah. Whereas uh, 
you know, which which is absolutely ridiculous if you have any kind of understanding of how we got the Bible, but also in, uh, a remembrance of what the gospel is. The gospel isn't if you believe in the King James Version, right? Which, uh, by the way, if you believe that, then you have to believe that the church was in darkness for the first 16 plus hundred years um, as well. So it's it, the discernment is also being able to distinguish between what is critical and, and what is secondary and, and maybe what's more of a matter uh, of conscience. And secondary does not mean unimportant. Secondary yeah. just means that this is not a gospel issue. Now, the other thing is that there are teachers, and, and you're, you're kind of making a reference to this, especially with your example of Tim Keller. I think there are teachers out there who are not heretics, but are not helpful. Um, in yeah. fact, I, I think yeah. they are more they are more unhelpful than, than they are helpful, mm-hmm. and they probably shouldn't be in the pulpit, mm-hmm. right? Um, and, and so those those are the kinds of individuals where I'll I'll tell people stay away from him. I'm not saying he's mm-hmm. a heretic, but I think this yeah. person is going to distract you from from a true understanding and knowledge of the scriptures. Can you, you think of any words. example worth mentioning? Um, well, yeah, you like Matt not. Chandler. Yeah, Matt okay. Chandler is yeah. is a good example okay. um, yeah, of someone who, that. yeah, he he might be saved. I, I think he is. I, I I I still hear the gospel from him. I think he I think he would affirm the gospel, but a lot of his teachings I think are very unhelpful. David Platt um, is another one, yeah. right? Um, these are men that I, I just have some severe questions about. You know, Paul Tripp. I, I have loved his resources when it comes to biblical counseling and for the books that he writes. Specific specifically on biblical counseling, I still think they're very good and very helpful. But be very careful when he starts to talk about social issues because it's almost like he adopts a, a yeah. completely different worldview. You mentioned the word de- deconstructionism as well as woke, and and we often get challenged. Well, what is woke? What is what does all that mean? And and really, with um, you know, kind of the rise of critical race theory and Black Lives Matter, you know, we we had an, an increase in kind of Marxist thinking where. Everything in the world is split into oppressor and oppressed. And, and deconstructionism, what it does is this. It, it looks at the Bible through the lens of oppressor and oppressed and starts to explain everything through that lens. And, and so this is how feminists and those who are in the LGBTQ community can call themselves Christians and, and will say, well, that's not what that means. And that's not what that means. They'll start to deconstruct the Bible and start to break it down into, well, you know, you'll get statements like, well, Paul and Jesus didn't really agree with each other. Some people will start to say that they only agree with this part of the Bible, or they'll even start to try to convince us that there is more than two genders there. Um, and so if you're in a position, you're wondering, well, am I con- deconstructing the Bible or not? And and really the question is, well, do you believe what the Bible says? If you believe what the Bible says and don't need um, external storylines to, to come in and, and kind of manipulate what the Bible says, then then you're not guilty of that. But that is happening, and you know yeah. a lot of uh, we're seeing a big rise within the LGBTQ, and and I'm not trying to make enemies of people who are caught in the LGBTQ movement, right? Um, but the movement itself, the ideology, is an enemy of the cross, and and this is being allowed more and more into the church. We're seeing the rise of more and more pastors and and teachers, not true pastors, but pastors and teachers who affirm this, and this seems to be the direction that Andy Stanley is going in. He is a affirmed yeah. um, homosexuals within the church um, and has yep. really kind of softened his stance. Uh, Beth Moore did the same thing. She used to have a book where she talked about the the, the, the sin of homosexuality, and then she removed a, a complete section of that from her Kindle book. And when she was asked about that, she said that she didn't think it was helpful, so she pulled it out. And then when she was asked, okay, well, is homosexuality a sin or not? 
she would not uh, provide an answer. So, I mean, those are all examples of people that, you, you know, uh, are they saved? Are they not saved? Ultimately, the Lord knows. And and it's possible that that some of these folks we're talking about are truly saved, they are in the faith, um, but that they are very unhelpful, unqualified teachers. Yeah. Right. Even even someone like um, uh, Stephen Furtick, I'm not, I, I have not used the word heretic with him. Um, I, I don't know that I've seen anything specifically that is heresy, but whenever I hear him teach, he, he's teaching the Bible out of context to, to give a message that's not really there, right? And and so that that's what concerns me. And so when some have referred to him as unqualified, I, I completely agree. I mean, is he a believer? He might be, but he's unqualified to teach, and he really should be um, learning the, the Word of God. And if he knows the Word of God and is directly going against it, well— you know that speaks to something even darker going on, but yeah, there, there's just a number of people, and and my recommendation will come down to: Are they teaching the Bible or aren't they? Are they teaching yeah. more of man's ideas or are they teaching God's ideas? And is their teaching man-centered or is it God-centered? Everything we do from the Scriptures should turn our eyes onto Jesus Christ. It should make more of God and less of man. And if it does the other way around. Well, then that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, it, you know, it's our it's not our job to decide who. Um, well, let me rephrase it. I think everyone knows that we can't decide who is and isn't safe. So that's not really the issue. Right. It's not our job necessarily to point out who we think is or isn't saved. Um, we, we certainly can do that. And when it's very clear and obvious, um, I, I think it's OK to do that. Uh, but what is our duty always is to determine who is sound and who isn't and who we um, who who is safe to be listening to and who's not. And a lot of these names that we've mentioned fall into that category, um, you know, which is why I started with Tim Keller, because, I, you know, I still have a lot of respect um, for, you know, Tim Keller's life. He, he obviously strived to uh, to serve God in his church um, and. And yet we can acknowledge what we need to acknowledge of, about how we kind of ended up. Um, and, and so I wanted to use them specifically as as an example. And that's just maturity, not being able, not having to condemn the whole life and, and every message of a man, but being willing to say, for whatever reason, uh, either now or in this area, they've just gone off track and discernment would say, we need to stay away from that. Um, and, and you mentioned several guys as well. So. Yeah. And so I think we need to be able to do that because too often I think we get emotionally attached to sort of like our favorite teachers and and that blinds us. Um, and we sort of forget that even our favorite teacher um, is just a man. Right. Um, he's just a man and he can get off track. Uh, he's tempted just like all the rest of us. I mean, you're, you're no less tempted than than the people in your church. I'm no less right. uh, tempted right. than the people in my church. Our temptations may be in different areas, um, but we're still men, and all of us are going to make mistakes right? at times. Uh, the, the issue is whether or not, uh, by God's grace, we're able to correct and repent uh, of those things. And um, and sometimes, you know, guys can go years in the weeds, and I think we're going to see that with the whole woke movement. You kind of talked about what that is. Um, I think there are guys who have given in to uh, enough of uh, that kind of <clears throat> belief system that they're dangerous in the church. They're guys I don't recommend anymore. And I think 
you know, and it's just my opinion. I think some of those are going to come back in the next few years. And these, some of these men have large platforms and they're going to come back and they're going to repent and they're going to say, man, I really, I really messed up. And their ministry will likely forever suffer because of the the path they took. And that's just the consequences to our actions. Um, but I think they'll come back and they'll acknowledge at least some of them uh, that they were wrong. And when they do, we need to have the grace to forgive them and really praise God. It, it'd be an example of how God promises to keep his sheep, right? Um, and, you know, and as long as those areas are not areas of heresy, which you defined well, uh, they don't affect the person and work of Christ, um, no. you know, then praise God and, and we'll see that. Um, you know, I kind of want to get into where it's a little bit longer here. Maybe we'll need to do another one. I don't know. But um, so all of this to kind of make the case that discernment is needed and not only needed, it's required of every believer. Um, we need to not be emotionally attached so much so to our favorite author, our favorite speaker, that we're unwilling to say, man, I just can't follow where you're going. Um, yeah. You know, and, you know, I, I might catch some slack for this, but let me give you a good example um, of that. I I love Odie Bauckham. Um, I've been extraordinarily helped in his ministry, but... I can't follow him in the direction he seems to be going um, in his view of understanding uh, how the law should be applied to our nation. Um, mm. I've only heard a handful of um, of of teaching from him in that area. And I what I've heard, I think, is wrong. Um, but I still love the guy. He's still my brother in Christ. It's not gotten to the point where. Uh, I'm I'm telling people maybe you don't want to listen to Vody's stuff anymore, but I'm concerned uh, that is just that that particular belief is just a place I can't follow him in, and that's okay. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, and uh, and but, but we've got to be able to do that, right? Um, and and by by no means has he said anything heretical. Nothing he believes, as far as I know would even touch negatively right. the person work of Christ solid in all those areas. Right. Uh, I just want to give guys an example of my own, uh, like someone in my own life who I hold in high esteem, who I'm having to now say, man, I, I, I love like everything I've ever heard you teach on, but I can't go there with you because I don't, yeah. I don't think that's the biblical view. Um, and so that's fine. And so uh, when I listen to messages, um, I'm just conscious of that. Uh, if if he's talking on that area, it's just an area where I'm going to say, man, I, I love you, brother, but yeah, I think you're wrong there. And so let me rather spend time listening to these other areas where I think he's solid in. I, I think that's just a good right. example. I hope I hope that's helpful for people. We've just it's OK to be able to do that. Right. Um, so how do we get yeah, this? And, and I, oh, yeah. And, and I think ahead, I, I think the other um, the other side of discernment is discerning the fruit. Um, discerning mm -hmm. the fruits of of the people that you're reading and hearing from, and you know, and we'll take Vody Bakum as a as a great example. Um, his fruit has been stellar. I see no problems with his ministry. Now, if he yeah. starts to head Agreed. in a direction that um, is not good, I, I think that the fruit is going to start to bear that out, right? I, I remember when I was a brand new believer, um, I saw what Jesus said, "You shall know them by their fruit," and I remember looking at uh, Joel Olstein and, and thinking, well. I know this is a false teacher, but where's the false fruit? Because he seems like such a happy and and mm -hmm. uh, encouraging guy. These are traits that 
would be good in anyone. I mean, you want you want your church members to be encouraging and, and happy and smiling and all that. And so I, I couldn't quite figure out how this applied to Joel Olstein that that if he's a if he's a false teacher, he should be bearing bad fruit. And and then I, I realized that in his case, the fruit is in what he actually teaches. And his fruit is in not being able to affirm that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Right. I mean, those are the kinds of things where where you see that and you're like, oh, wait a second. You know, a true Which he teacher said publicly. Of God, yeah, he said publicly right on the Larry King show. He was asked point blank, um, "Do you believe Jesus Christ is the only way?" And he's he literally said, "I don't know." Now I, I've been challenged by some people um, on my position. They're saying, "Well, no one's perfect." And I say, "Yeah, true, no one's perfect, but there is no man of God in the position of pastor who should ever get that question yeah. wrong ever." All right, I mean, yes, we make mistakes, we stumble. That's not a place where we should ever make a mistake or stumble. Yeah. It's it's a very simple. It matter. matters where the mistake is. Yeah, exactly, and that's again, that's discerning the, the the mistake and whether that's an acceptable mistake or not. But looking at the fruit, because a lot of times you'll there are certain preachers, teachers, authors. You look at the the fruit of their ministry. Look look at how they behave, especially towards those who disagree with them, right? Um, so sometimes people form a, a belief that I will disagree with, but they're very gracious towards those who disagree with them. And I, and I would say that's a good sign. Um, now, if they form a, a certain belief and, and start to vilify everyone who doesn't follow them there, then that becomes a problem. You know, you, you start to get closer and closer to being like a cult where you treat everyone else who doesn't take that position, which is not a gospel position. But if everyone else who doesn't take that position, if you start to treat them like they're not in the body of Christ, well, you're kind of forming a cult. And without knowing it, you're acting like the gospel is something more um, than than what it really is. Which, by the way, if if you make the gospel more than what it is, you're introducing works. You're you're introducing yeah. works, and you're taking yeah. the grace out of it. So we have to fight to preserve the purity of the gospel because the purity of the gospel is the only way that man will ever know what the true grace of God is in salvation. And uh, yeah, so if you start to form these positions, and you know the the whole um, the whole situation now with you know, Christian nationalism and those who are against it. Uh, th this is a good example, all right? I mean, you can be on the side of Christian nationalism, you can be on the side against it, or you can be some kind of third position, and and your, your position in any one of those three camps does not tell me whether you're saved or unsaved, but if you start to vilify everyone who doesn't stand with you, that to me is not good fruit. That's not Christ-likeness, and, and that's not preserving the unity of, of the body of Christ, if indeed um, we are all in Christ through the gospel. So discerning the fruits um, and and discerning how people respond to others who disagree with them on issues that are not primary issues. Yeah. Yeah. Just because you're post mill doesn't mean you're a heretic. I mean, you're wrong biblically, but <laughs> um, it, you know, and, and yeah. so it's just true. I, you know, I, I, I wanted to do a podcast and not say anything controversial. Um, but, uh, anyway, but anyway, but in all seriousness, and you have guys who, you know, take, uh, that eschatological view or views close to that, who, if you, yeah. again, if you look at the fruit of their ministry, uh, you can disagree with them, uh, you, you, you know, um, you, you know, but they're not producing people who are angry and combative yeah. and, um, and, and, you know, I, I must just say, um, uh, James White is a good example of this, I think, um, uh, I, I don't really follow James's ministry all that much. I've read some books on apologetics when he's uh, some of his stuff about um, other religions is extraordinarily helpful. And I definitely would 
recommend those. He's written about Islam. He's written about Catholicism. Yeah. Um, but, you know, James White is a post-mill guy, um, and he's nothing like a lot of what we see. Uh, in fact, he's even rebuked um, the kind of brash, crass behavior. Yes. And and I will tell you, I have my respect for uh, Dr. White has, you know, significantly increased um, just by, you know, watching his response and willingness to call out that. And, and you know, there are a lot of areas I don't agree with him in, um, which is fine. But he's he's just a good example of you know, um, an eschatological view, which in my opinion, ultimately I think is dangerous to take. Um, but he's, he's a good example of a mature guy who's not gone so far that, um, right. you know, that, that, that we would shun him as it were. And yet, you know, there are plenty of other guys who, um, I think they followed the logical conclusion kind of, and, and, uh, and, and on top of the fact that they're just combative people who, you know, I've blocked and I'm not even sure they're safe. I, I mean, truly, like I, I'm genuinely concerned for their soul just watching how they respond to people and how they interpret things. So good examples of of that kind of that kind of thing. So how do you grow in discernment? Well, I, I would say the first thing is that you should desire it. Right. I mean, you, you, yeah. you should desire discernment and, and wisdom. And so, you know, Proverbs tells us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Um and and so I think after you have the fear of the Lord, I you're saved. Uh, God's been gracious to you, and He's uh, you know brought you to life. Um, the the first step to really getting discernment is to truly want it. Um, I just like everything else in the Christian the the Christian life. Discernment has to be desired, um, no. and, and this really means that there has to be a real love and desire for God's word. And I think the best picture in my mind is. David in Psalm 19, um, you know, David goes through, uh, and I think, I think it's verse 10, um, verse 10, he, he switches from talking about the law of the Lord where you have all those synonyms for the word of God. And he, he responds and describes God's law, God's word as being that, which is more valuable than gold and sweeter than the honeycomb. I think that's the key, um, to to the beginning of growing in discernment is how you view God's word. Is the word of God more valuable than anything else in your life? Is it sweeter? In other words, is it satisfying to you more than anything else the world has to offer? I would say that's the, the, the beginning point of growing in wisdom. If you're not there where you love God's word, you're not going to grow in discernment. Um, and so I think that's the first step for for folks. Yeah, I think of Joshua chapter one when the Lord commissions Joshua, verse seven. He says, "Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night." And Psalm one, and we've quoted this many times, but um, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he will be like a tree firmly planted 
by streams of water. So we, we have many examples throughout the scriptures of the value of the Word of God. We're told to pray for wisdom, and I think when you pray for wisdom, part of that, part, part of wisdom is uh, receiving the discernment to, to know what is good from what is evil. The spiritual war is all about protecting yourself from the attacks of the evil one. Ephesians 2, 2 talks about how we once followed after the world, after the prince of the power of the air. So there's no such thing as a person who follows the world who's not following after Satan. So Satan's schemes are many, and if you're going to protect yourself spiritually, you have to be able to grow in your understanding of the Word, but it does start with a love of the Word. And if you truly understand that Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life and sacrificed himself on the cross, that you would be his disciple, that you would follow him— then remember the Great Commission that Jesus Christ told the disciples, make disciples of all the nations, not only baptizing them, but but teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So this is the this is the Christian walk. There's no such thing as becoming more of a Christian without the food that is provided, the spiritual food, which is the Word of God. And, and we must devote ourselves to it, continue to grow in it. And something that I've told many people in my church, and I'll repeat it here, you know, when you're in the Word of God each day, don't treat it as a task. Don't treat it as a chore. Don't treat it as something that you need to do and get out of the way and then look for some sort of spiritual blessing. No, when you're in the Word of God, treat it as a blessed opportunity to learn more about your Savior, to learn more about your Creator. And and that's you're going to have to start to see the process as the reward, because indeed it is a reward. The Word of God is richer than than anything else we can get from this world. And so we we should treasure those opportunities that we have to go into the Word of God, to read the Word of God, to hear what God has to say to us, and, and to just grow in our understanding of His will and purpose. And as we do all those things, our love for God's Word is going to transform our hearts and our minds. We're going to start to act more like Christ, which is what God has predestined, uh, predestined us to do, Romans 8, 29, he has predestined you to become conformed to the image of his son. And, and the more we start to act like Christ, um, the more useful we are on the on the spiritual battlefield, and the more protected we are against the attacks of the evil one. Yeah. Yeah, so we've got to desire it. Um, I, th- I think after we desire it, number two is you've got to know the word of God. You've got to desire discernment, and you've got to know the word of God if you're going to grow in discernment. Uh, you know, you see in Paul's letter to Timothy, in 1 Timothy, uh, Paul tells Timothy to turn aside from godless and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Well, that requires discernment. And and the only way you you know the difference between what's godless and what's empty chatter or what's opposing, um, you know, true knowledge, which would be the knowledge of Scripture uh, you have to know the word. That's in First Timothy chapter six. In Jude, right? Jude sits down to write a letter. Incredible. Jude is an incredible epistle for many, many reasons. But he 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 sits down to write a letter about their common salvation, and you see actually in his writing the Holy Spirit work in him and inspire him to write something different, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this is an evidence of the man Jude uninspired sitting down to write a letter about the common gospel and then um, the inspiration of God coming on him and having him write something different and then inspired to give us that information, right? Because he says, what I wanted to do was something entirely different than what I'm actually going to do. Um, But it says he felt the necessity to write to the church that they contend earnestly, that they fight 
right. earnestly for the faith, which was handed down by the saints, which would require them to know what was handed down by the saints. Um, and so we've got to know scripture. These commandments, you know, Paul to Timothy, Jew to the church, um, you know, required discernment. You've got to know God's word. And so I think the second thing in growing in discernment is you desire it and then you 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 start studying um, yeah. the word of God. And that's what I would say the third thing is, which is really just kind of an outflowing of the first two, um, is a diligent, the diligent work of testing everything. You mm-hmm. you desire discernment, you pray for wisdom, you study scriptures uh, to get to know God primarily, to come to know who Christ is and what he's done. Um, to desire to be obedient and grow in the faith. And in the midst of that, um, you have what you need to to test everything. And then you start doing that, um, right? I mean, yeah. Paul's command in Acts 17, 11, listen to what he says. He says, now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the yeah. word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. I mean, they're testing an apostle, Right. They didn't yeah. just take it uh, on good faith because he's been uh, given the thumbs up by the other apostles because he's, you know, seen miracles, uh, nothing like that. They tested what he said against the scriptures they had. And so and that's that's how we ought to be. Um, you you have to the Christian life is not a passive life. Practice is required. Right. We, we have to practice the Christian life. And so when you open a book, I think far too many Christians have no thought about who is this author? What are they teaching? Where are they at in their faith walk right now? Those things matter. Um, you know, you, you find an author. I mean, you know, you go to the bookstore or on Amazon, you type in, um, you know, men's Bible study and you find this book called Wild at Heart. And you're like, oh, that. That sounds like yeah. a great book, right? Um, by this Eldridge guy. And, but if you start doing some, you know, and people will get that and they'll read it and be like, oh, wow, that's a great book. Man, yeah, every guy wants to conquer something. I love camping. I love hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, I like shooting guns, all this stuff. Um, but there was no discernment. Um, right. And, and so rather than, you know, reading the reviews, looking up the author, seeing what they're doing in the Christian walk now, what's kind of been the fruit of their ministry. I mean, things that might take you, I mean, you can do all that if you're, you know, if you know how to use Google, you can do all that in 15 minutes. It doesn't even take that long. Um, That's the kind of thing that Paul is commending the Bereans for doing. I mean, they listened to Paul. They were eager to hear what he had to say, but then clearly they thought we need to make sure this is, the right thing. And so daily they were listening to Paul and then going back and testing it. And, and that's, that's what we're called to do. And so it's the Christian life's not a passive life. It's not an easy life. I mean, that's why the book of Ephesians, I mean, he ends with the fact that you're in a war, right? I mean, you're a soldier, you've been given armor. Um, It's a, it's a tough life. And I think we need to, you know, help people understand that so that they aren't, um, they aren't disillusioned. Um, I mean, that's one of the problems with teaching that things are going to increasingly get better over the, over long periods of time, because when they don't, and they're guaranteed not to, 
um, people start get disillusioned in their faith because they've been taught the wrong thing, right? Jesus teaches quite the con- quite contrarily to that. You know, the bad are going to go from bad to worse. Uh, sin's going to increase. Um, Christians are going to be persecuted. Uh, and certainly those who pursue holiness. You know, we're taught these things in Scripture so that we're strengthened and not disillusioned. Um, and so we need discernment. And we've got to practice that. We've got to get in the habit of, look, before you, it, you know, even like if my wife and I want to watch a TV show, um, I very, which we do very seldomly, by the way, but uh, because TV is just sort of trash today. But if we want to watch a show on on the computer or whatever, and it's a series, I oftentimes watch the first two or three on my own, not because yeah. my wife can't do it herself. Um, she most certainly can. And she's very spiritually mature, but, you know, it's just my way of saying, you know what, I want to be a good husband and one, I want to guard myself. And so let me watch one or two very critically. Um, And then two, if I discover that it's not something I should be watching, it's not something I want to put into my mind, then I certainly don't want to go home and recommend it to my wife. Um, And it's something that she appreciates. And she she'll do the same thing if she comes across something uh, that she might be. We like to read books together. You know, she comes across a book that looks interesting. She'll look at it and read the back and consider the author. Um, And there's times she's come to me and said, yeah, I don't think we really want to do this. This is what I found out about the author. And she'll share that with me. And I'll say, yeah, we definitely don't want to do that. Um, And so that's just a habit that every believer should uh, should should learn to develop in the church, what you listen to, what you watch, what you read. It's a lot of work, but that's faithful Christianity. Final thoughts on that? No, this is, it all starts with the Word of God, uh, wanting to know what the Word of God is, uh, wanting to follow it, apply it into your life, and then exercise the Word of God and, and really evaluate all that is going around you through it. Uh, if you continue to walk humbly with the Lord and, and continue to devote yourself to his scriptures and trust in his grace uh, for you and apply that diligently. Second uh, Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Mm-hmm. Um, God will not let you down. You, you follow those steps and, and you will fulfill the will of God in you by becoming more like Christ as you continue to grow. Yeah. Amen, brother. And I think the encouragement um, is not that it's so hard. The Christian life is so hard being because it is hard. The encouragement is that God has given us everything we need to be faithful in Scripture. I I mean, we we aren't left alone. We aren't left without the ability to grow in discernment. And I think that's what's so encouraging to me. So wherever you are, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, wherever you are in your discernment, whether you're thinking, you know, I've been blessed and 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 I'm a fairly discerning person and you know you can continue growing in it, or whether you're listening and you're thinking, you know, I feel like I have no discernment in my life. Um, you know, you can start wherever you are today, get in the word of God, pray that God would give you an increased desire. I mean, even the faith we have is a gift from God. The, I think the desire to be discerning is also a gift from God. Um, so pray that God would give that to you. He's certainly already given you access to a Bible and then get in it. Um, start memorizing scripture. And if you don't have, you know, if, if it's hard for you to memorize scripture, just 
start reading and listening to copious amounts of it. Yeah. Consider, you know, what it says and and just grow in that area. And that's what God's called us to. You know, it's, again, uh, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, I can't remember what chapter it is. Maybe you'll recall it, Eki, when I when I quote it here, but um, or paraphrase it. But it, it it's where Apostle, the Apostle Paul says that we're supposed to no longer be children being tossed here and there by every wave of doctrine. Right. He's calling yeah, us to be yeah. mature, discerning. Do, do you know where that is? Yeah. Ephesians 4.14. Yeah. There you go. Ephesians 4.14. That's what every believer is called to. And you can only get there by being faithful and diligent in the scripture. So hope that this has been helpful to you guys. Um, until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.